and welcome to the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Manny Manuel, and the reason you don't hear Sam's delicious voice bringing us into the episode is that we had to split this episode into two parts. The first part uh, has already been released, and that is our interview with Kyle Robertson. And because everything went so long, we figured splitting it into two separate episodes would be a lot easier for everyone. So this is uh, the second part of Kyle Robertson's uh, podcasting debut, and this is his review, as well as mine and Sam's review of The Lobster. So I'm going to take you in. You can sit down and enjoy our review of The Lobster. The film we are talking about today is The Lobster, released May 13th, 2016. That is the North American release, by the way. Um, it technically is listed as a 2015 film because of its UK release, which is when it was debuted. Mm-hmm. But we're, we always kind of go with the North American release. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, written by Yorgos Lanthimos, and I'm going to fuck up this name, Ephthemus Philippou. Yeah, right. Uh, starring Colin Farrell, Rachel Weiss, and Olivia Coleman, has a meta score of 82, a letterbox score of 3.8. Uh, it got nominated for one Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, had a budget of $4 million. It grossed $9 million in the U.S., making it the number 145th film in the box office that year. Uh, it grossed $17 million worldwide. The plot. In a dystopian near future, according to the laws of the city, single people are taken to the hotel, where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or they're transformed into beasts and sent off into the woods. Sam, why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on The Lobster? Yeah, so this is my, uh, this is my second, second or third watch. I Probably, probably third on The Lobster. Uh, this is one I discovered not long after it came out. I, for the life of me, can't remember the circumstances under which I decided to watch this for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do recall just staring at my blank laptop screen after the film ended just going what the fuck was that <laughs> just being in a state of pure shock uh not even really knowing whether it was good shock or bad shock just not really knowing what it was that i had watched and it's one of those films that just stuck with me for so long that after i finished it i couldn't i couldn't get it out of my head mm-hmm. I, I it stuck with me for so long and i couldn't i couldn't even figure out if i liked it i was just like what what is this? And I, it just has such a unique character to it. So this was my introduction to Yorgos Lanthimos. I watched this before Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Favorite, both of which I've seen since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very excited for his upcoming film, which I've already forgotten the name of again. What the fuck is that about? Oh, shit. You guys suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, two words. Yeah, it's two words. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, this is one that's stuck in my head for a long time. I revisited it again uh, several years later. And it held up insanely well. It's just a film that I went into blind the first time. I didn't even know the plot synopsis you read off to me. Again, I can't remember what even inspired me to watch it. I think maybe a YouTuber or or something that I watched said it was worth a watch. Um, But it is one of the most unique films I've ever seen. It is a challenging film. It's not for everybody. Uh, It's a bit avant-garde and a bit off-putting. Uh, it's brutal, it's violent, it's sexual, it's weird, it's monotone, it's a little drab color-wise. It's, at times, I don't want to say poorly lit, but strangely lit. There's some, like, I don't want to say poorly because it makes it feel like it's not an intentional decision. 
everything about this film is very intentional in yep. the way it is, and it's exactly the way that Yorgos <laughs> Lanthimos intended it to be. But it's weird, and there are really weird decisions. Um, and uh, this time around, I did actually notice the lighting several times where I'm like, why are they backlit in this scene? <laughs> like, I can't see this character's face. What is happening right now? Um, yeah, there's several moments like that where there's just like some... The tone of the film is just so bizarre. The subject matter of the film is so bizarre. The dialogue is so bizarre. And it sticks with you. I can't help but think about this film all the time. And it is weirdly romantic. It is... Uh, Ultimately, I think a film about finding your soulmate, which if you've seen the film is a really odd way of putting it, but it kind of is. It's a both a criticism of the idea of soulmates and a film about just a guy trying to find a soulmate. Um, it is it is very strange, uh, but a film that I'm going to continue to revisit and recommend to people. I think you can tell a lot about a person by their react by what their reaction is to this film. Um, but when Manny said that, uh, when he read off all the films, Kyle, that you said you would be maybe comfortable doing for your first episode, he said before he read through the 10, he's like, I already know which one you're going to want to do. Like, I'll finish with it and I'll read you the other nine first, but I already know which one you're going to want to do. And instantly I was like, oh yeah, we have to do the lobster partially because I, I really do like the movie and partially because, uh, I didn't know if Manny was going to like the movie. <laughs> and I was really excited to see his reaction. So I'm still excited for that. Um, I, I think I'm gonna. I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm really curious to hear both of your thoughts. But uh, yeah, a really weird, unpredictable, off-putting, and strangely beautiful movie uh, that I that I think about often. Awesome, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> so that is a beautiful summation. Honestly, <laughs> I I really love that. Um, yeah, I I'm also super excited for what you think, Manny. Um, but yeah, I I have to say, Yorgos Lanthimos, one of my uh, I think probably my top, my favorite director. Um, this movie, if you were trying to find a film that just displays auteur theory and shows the the influence of a director like front and center in every single frame, this is the movie, I think. It's wild start to finish. Um not without its issues. Um, we'll get into that later. It suffers from a couple things, but it's still one of my favorite. Um, I think the, as you said, the the romance of it. It's cute. It's heartwarming. There's this whole, like, there's there's this whole plot of finding love where there shouldn't be any, where you know you don't expect it, and it's it. I think there's some really beautiful and well acted scenes. I think one of the like best performed weird movies i've ever seen and again that speaks to the directing um as well as the casting that just every supporting character fucking gave like it was it was <laughs> just amazing and uh without giving away too much of my thoughts on the individual performances i beyond stunned i i also the dialogue they were given and how they handled it just amazing i think it was extremely fresh um off-putting when it needed to be heartwarming when it needed to be um yeah yeah i i loved the film the first time i saw it i was introduced to it by uh my girlfriend at the time and fuck that bitch (laughs) 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 look at him now (laughs) 
we're, we're on good terms, and she right. also introduced me to the lobster and I take it back. Lanthimos. Yeah. So. I, just kidding. You're just kidding. I'm named actually you're pretty a, cool. Yeah. You're a lovely, lovely lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, where, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We, we got a little excited there. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, oh, man. My train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. We completely derailed you. Oh, it's all good. I, I ramble anyway. Okay. Um, I can jump in then if you like. Yeah. I think I, I'll probably think of... Oh. Oh. The the score mm. and mm. that all comes later too but yep. i think every technical element completely served the directorial vision as well and i forgot to do a thing that we sometimes do uh or that i sometimes do when we're just getting ready to record i'll often just play the score as we're sitting here like reviewing reviewing what, what the episode is going to be like tonight mm -hmm. i'll often just play the score i was listening to it today as i was typing up my notes a little bit but uh yeah i forgot to put it on just now mm -hmm. nice. but yeah i think um yeah i think there were so many things about it that just don't get done it breaks so many rules mm -hmm. um but it breaks them in a way that on my fifth viewing i finally noticed and it's just so seamlessly created like to have the knowledge the intimate knowledge of film to be able to break those rules without people noticing for that long it's just so impressive and this film does it so well um and yeah i think i've said dialogue without really explaining my thoughts on it a couple times the dialogue is just so unnatural but so poignant i think every everything that gets said creates the world um and it's done so well that's kind of a yorgos lanthimos trait mm -hmm. is to the the way the characters talk just sets that tone for everything um and it, it just it serves this so well um the the way that they interact everything about it beautiful um quality film uh but not for everybody definitely um, but yeah, one of my one of my favorites, and I'll leave it there. Perfect. I'm so excited. For what's going to right now. <laughs> I, I have been ever since this was ever since I heard this was the film. I've been waiting for this moment. All right, Manny, let's hear it. All right, I'm one of those people. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There yeah. It is. Uh, that being said, all the technical aspects of the film are completely evident. Like the acting is fantastic. The dialogue is great. The cinematography is great. Didn't like the score. Found it very un i don't want to say unnerving because then that makes it sound like it was doing what it was supposed to i found it completely annoying um i will just briefly interject here we keep saying score it's not an original score it is mostly beethoven just throwing that out there okay yeah. but the, the point remains the point remains yep. yeah it was not i i found it it legitimately took me out of scenes at time mm -hmm. uh the the film itself, obviously, it's super weird. Weirdness does not bother me at all. Like I can, I like weird films, uh, as you will see when I mention my double feature. Um, I going into the film, I went in with some prejudice. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to like this, um, and I have nothing to base it on, whatsoever. It was just a gut feeling, even from the moment that Sam told me about the lobster. I just had this feeling like not for me uh, and it wasn't that doesn't I can respect all the technical aspects but this 
film's just not one that I would ever plan to revisit at all. Yeah. Um, but again, similar to Wes Anderson films, a filmmaker I do not like. Um, I can see the craft at work and the skill of the director. That's undeniable. Uh, it just appears that his type of stories. This is only my second film. I do plan on watching The Killing of a Sacred Deer as well, because maybe, because I'm fifty-fifty. I did like the favorite. Um, I'm. I'll speak for myself, but I feel that this movie is more similar to The Killing of a Sacred Deer than it is to The Favorite. But that's just my opinion. I, I think I agree there. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. I'm anticipating that. Yeah. But I want to give everybody a fair shake. For sure. I basically try to give every filmmaker at least three to four films, and then I'm like, then I feel like my opinion is solid on them uh, i'm not like a one and done unless your, your film is so offensive that i want nothing to ever do with it again i'm looking at you michael bay mm-hmm. um <laughs> but yeah all right so let's get into the movie would you like to take us into spoilers i would love to excellent so is there a more of a lead-in than I'm giving, or is it just you can? It's just the it's just the countdown. I mean, you can you can preface it with whatever you want, Beauty. as long as you got uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So going on. This yeah. is me ruining the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you've just enhanced it. No, like I, I said, it. you can lead up to it with whatever you want. Oh, the entire right. crowd has so much anticipation right now. Is mm-hmm. he gonna say it? Is he gonna not say it? This is exactly what I wanted and planned for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't see, but he's actually reading <clears throat> off a script right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, without further ado, three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Oh nice. my god, that is that is delightful. That's Thank you, Sam. What scene would you like to begin with? Yeah, uh, where are we gonna go here? Um, I actually don't have anything for a bit. I th- I didn't include this one because it's one of my favorites. I just kind of wanted to talk about it and get your thoughts. Um, the opening, the woman uh, just driving and killing a donkey. Yeah. Uh interesting way to open a movie um again i was watching this with uh with emma and she had never seen it before and she was instantly confused (laughs) as i think is the intention i think i think that is kind of it's supposed to be an attention grabbing thing it's supposed to be a hook like whoa this woman just like intentionally drove all this way to kill one donkey leave another one and just like what's what's that about and if you if you are going in blind to a movie uh, and you don't know what the plot of the movie is before you watch it, you are that the intention has just been realized. So mm-hmm. uh, if you know that this is a film about people going to a hotel where they get turned into animals, uh, it does not it, you, it makes sense that a woman would have a vendetta against an animal. But if you don't know that, it's instantly just a hook into the world. And uh, it definitely worked on me the first time. I, I forgot the film started this way, but. When it, when it started again, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is uh, <laughs> this is a this was a bit of a head scratcher for me for about the first I don't know ten fifteen minutes when you don't really know what's going on if you're going in blind." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a fun start, but yeah, not necessarily one of my favorite scenes. I just wanted to kind of take the temperature of the room and see what we thought about this as an opening. Ah, so <laughs> <laughs> love this scene. Yeah. To be honest, I under like it's obviously so confusing, mm-hmm. um, but I think just the it puts you in the right place for the rest of the movie. And I think that's what it's there for. I don't think it has any higher purpose or anything. It just puts you in that world just a little bit. You're on edge. You're confused as hell. Cause I think realistically, if you start with any other scene, 
if you start with the scene that comes right after, you're you're gonna take too long to understand the world that you're in and that it's fucking weird and that this film is gonna be weird. So I think it perfectly puts the audience in where they need to be. Yeah, I actually really like that as an explanation. There's still so much exposition that has to happen for you to know, like, the rules of this universe, what's going on with this hotel, the 45-day rule, like, gaining extra days, all that stuff. And if you're just, like, going into it dry into his interview with Olivia Coleman, like, there's a lot of build-up to that moment. So, yeah, Yeah. I I agree. I also, like, I watched this with my parents uh, the i know fifth time oh you know yeah. you watched this with I your made, parents i did oh, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> so my my dad he um he did say he didn't like the film didn't I like know. it at all <laughs> yeah you've heard yeah Amazing. i talked to him today i've also heard <laughs> um uh you know i respect all of his thoughts on it i i totally get why he's in that boat and whatever um but he did say that that first scene, she drives up, she shoots the donkey, and you're immediately like, why? What is going on? Mm-hmm. That's so weird. And now you're hooked for at least 30 minutes, in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That was the answer he gave was, like, the next 30 minutes, they had me wondering why and what's going on. And mm-hmm. I'm, like, actually paying genuine attention to what's going on to figure it out. And that it, to me, that's all the scene is for, is to, you're hooked you want to know what's going on and now you're paying attention enough to catch the world building that and the exposition that has to happen for the rest of the film to continue and i'm going to put this in air quotes making sense yep um (laughs) it's it's i it's not that that particular scene is necessary but a scene is necessary and i think that one's just really cool and completely separate i think that the donkey fell over really funnily I, I thought it was just absolutely hilarious just straight legged over and kind of bounced a little it makes me laugh every time all right it's good to know you sadist um yeah. it's I, as concerning as the thing you told me uh <laughs> jordan, like jordan? yeah yeah <laughs> uh that's how i felt about the scene uh i knew what the movie is about mm-hmm. and uh as soon as as soon as she stopped and I saw that she had a gun, I'm like, oh, I know what this is for. And it does work. It it makes you wonder, like, what the fuck? Like, why? <laughs> and then it does – it, it brings you deeper into the film to try to rationalize or try to understand what you just saw. So it worked. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and, I mean, even though this is never brought up again, like, the scene is never referenced again in the, in the film, uh, so no – satisfactory explanation is given uh looking back on it first of all it's not really important for the film that we get to see and second of all it is uh uh it's not hard to imagine uh Mm -hmm. why somebody in this world would want to kill a donkey it's uh, there's you know you can insert any any number of reasons why somebody may have a vendetta against somebody who left their life and preferred to be turned into an animal than Mm -hmm. be with them I think it's especially nice that there's two donkeys in shot because that lets you, once you've watched the film a few times, it lets you make theories. You know, why is this woman doing this? Were those people potentially both friends? Were they both past lovers of hers that 
liked donkeys and both chose to be turned into donkeys was one better than the other was one abusive you just have so many questions once you've watched it a few times at least i do and i i love that and And i also love the donkey comes to check the other one (laughs) fucking hilarious i don't know if that was planned oh my god it's so funny what what i also love about there being two donkeys in the shot is again if you're going in blind like i was my first time it lets the viewer know it's not that she wanted to kill a donkey. It's that she wanted to kill this donkey. Yeah. Like, this donkey wronged her in some way. <laughs> and it's just, it just yeah, it hooked me so... I had so many questions right off the bat. So, yeah, it's a very effective opening. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the last thing I want to say about that is just technically speaking, that's a one Yeah, That sure whole scene, that whole shot, yeah, one And there's only one movement in it. There's a slight pan to the left. Otherwise, it's static. Hmm. And that pan is slow and meaningful and those wiper blades oh, chef's kiss <laughs> oh so good yeah. perfect yeah all right kyle what scene do you want to discuss so i want to move on to the dance the dance the, the, okay. uh, a few things have happened all right. um, i don't know if you guys have anything in between that we want to go to chronologically mm. or if we want to skip straight to no, go Not ahead good to go man yeah go ahead cool. so i think a lot of cool stuff happens before this it puts us in this space but the dance scene, I think, is really where the character exposition happens. We get to know everybody. And you kind of get some hints at who everybody's going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell this is the one and only time that David, uh, good old Colin Farrell, one of our only named characters, or the only? Uh, I can't remember. Might be might be the no, only? Uh we learn John. John. John is um Isn't it? Is that the limping man or is that John C. Riley? I think it's John C. Riley, isn't it? Maybe. Right, yeah. Because they they use each other's names in one scene. Yeah, there's a scene it. where uh John C. Riley's character is saying uh, Colin Farrell's saying to John C. Riley, You're my best friend and he's like, What about John? Yeah. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's the limping man. Yeah. Yeah. Or the the, the limping man is um yeah, that's Ben Wyshaw, right? Or Wishaw? Yep. Ben plays Wyshaw. plays that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. Uh, the dance. The dance. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I I just think that it's it's done expertly. The use of slow motion. The it, I think it was really cool when he went to go ask her. Um, I believe there's narration here. Not the first time we hear it. Um, but close to the beginning, uh, we're starting to kind of cement the vibe of what the narration means. Not much in the moment. It's, I, I actually, this was something that a few people had a gripe over, but I appreciate it, but I get why it's not a, as good, but the narration being almost exactly just a retelling of what's happening. Um, I understand why that's not great, but I thought it provided a level of comedy personally um and i also appreciated that even though we don't have an introduction to her character we kind of do for when she gets cycled in Mm. because it takes a long time for her to get four minutes i believe um and this is only only this is like a hour 58 film yeah, I have it uh, on IMDb, hour 59 in hour front 59. of me. I mean, yeah. it depends where you measure to and from, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 
that's a pretty late introduction for a character of that importance to the story. Um, but you feel like you kind of know her because of this narration. Uh, and I felt like at the dance scene, I got to know everything I needed to know about every single character in that hotel. And also, um, the hotel manager and her husband uh, on stage, mm -hmm. if you notice, I think he, they both smile while they're performing. He <sighs> smiles while looking at her for like a millisecond because he starts to smile while he's turning away. They never smile at each other. I thought that was really cool. Noticed that the fourth time around. <laughs> um, but there's so many like small moments that just describe who these people are that I really appreciated. And going forward, they were necessary. And they happen like snap very fast. And uh, my last comment is this whole scene happens and you feel like you have a timeline and then the curtains open and it's the middle of the fucking day. Yeah. And it's like a completely <laughs> yeah. dark dance ballroom thing going on. And it's the middle of the day. Yeah. I, I was amazed. Like it just, it's those little things that just completely throw you off where you're starting to get used to the convention of it. And these out the window immediately. I thought that was really cool. Awesome. Sam? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things about this dance scene that are worth commenting on. One of them is, since I have been more involved in music, I notice just how bad this band is. <laughs> this band is, like, clearly unrehearsed. And again, like, uh, like I'm not saying that as a slight. Like, that is clearly, like, a note of direction. Like, hey, these, these musicians would be, like, unrehearsed and just kind of thrown together. Maybe they're, like, friends of the hotel manager. Like, hey, we're throwing an event or something. Like, within the world, like, it makes sense. But this time around, I was like, wow, this band is really ill-prepared. <laughs> like, kind of out of tune. <laughs> but uh, that and um, the weirdness of all of them being in the same clothing as each other is really off-putting. Um, the nosebleed girl explaining how to get blood out of clothing <laughs> is such a... That is one of the first moments of dialogue in the movie where you're really taken out of, like, wow, that is really not how a person would say that. Yeah. Like, like that is... This is like it was written by an alien. <laughs> this yeah. is really not how a person would say. And the third way of getting blood out of clothing is, like, <laughs> that's just not how people talk. Yeah, it's like, uh, this is a ser serial killer speech. Yeah. For sure. And, uh, the... I, I think we're on... Uh, we're on a maybe a tripod shot of some kind. I'm not can't remember exactly what kind of shot we're on, but as they're rotating around, the camera is staying relatively stationary. And one of the times we come around, her her nose has begun to bleed, and uh, then they rotate around again, and he has blood on his shirt. It's actually like a really artistic shot, and uh, and really well done. Um, there's a couple moments like that in the in the film and uh, and in the scene in particular. But yeah, a, a well directed scene and. Uh, I don't know. At this point in the film, we're still just kind of world building. So you're right that it kind of uh, it it begin. It, we're continuing with the uh, with the exposition here a little bit. Yeah, this scene was okay for me. Not one of the ones I chose. <clears throat> I do like that we. I didn't feel as un or I didn't feel as comfortable with all the guys wearing the same clothes. No, but seeing the women all in the same dress definitely gave me a, a feeling of discomfort. The reveal that is during the day was a nice shock. I didn't see that coming. Uh, I and I love that legit had not laughing, but her describing how to get blood out of your clothes was awesome. Absolutely <laughs> awesome. 
Uh, yeah, it was like it was written by AI. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good scene. Not not one of the ones on my list, but I I like how you picked it because it does offer a lot. I yeah I I picked it. I I really like a lot of the moments. I like those moments because I like the characters for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I think that scene and a lot of scenes like it where there's a lot of acting talent and character that needs to get displayed in a scene, especially across such a large number of actors, yep. the directing is difficult. And I think it's pulled off really, really well. Um, and also John C. Riley's dancing and all of the dialogue surrounding that. Beautiful. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, John C. Riley's dancing is fun. <laughs> Especially when you, we learn more about the heartless woman later who yeah. he's dancing with. It's just like, man, what a person <laughs> to just be doing having this awkward dance with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my first scene I want to talk about is the hunt, the first hunt. Um, all shot in slow-mo um lit beautifully and everything in slow-mo i don't know what music was playing at the time but it's uh it's shot so incredibly well the use of slow-mo had me like in awe because it it's he's got the exact the exact right frame rate for it to feel haunting and interesting but not so slow where you're bored uh, it's beautifully shot, and the idea of the hunt had me intrigued because it's referenced a few times. There's a scene where he's looking down before the hunt before, and you see all the the loners laid out on the pavement. Um, so it had me intrigued as to what this could be, and seeing it in practice was interesting and enjoyable. It's part of the world where you're you just have to buy into it because part of me is like, why the fuck are those loners out there? Like, just don't be near there. Mm-hmm. Don't be near that hotel and you'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's all part of the world. So it, like I said, it's a minor complaint, but like I've been telling Sam recently, um, I no longer want to pick movies apart for not being realistic because it's a movie except the world that you're in. Just if you can accept, if you, if you can, if you can accept it, your enjoyment of it will be heightened. If you're going to nitpick it apart, your enjoyment's going to be detracted. Like John Wick. I couldn't, like, I can't let go of that world because it's too unrealistic for me. Not the world of assassins, just the number of assassins. <laughs> I can't let it go. And I just, because I can't let it go, my enjoyment of the film drops a little bit. Uh, in here, um, it was easily believable because the whole idea and the whole premise of this movie is ludicrous. And so um, the idea that these loners are just sitting out in the woods for some reason happily being able to be hunted, you just accept it. And so once I was able to, like, for a moment I was like, this doesn't make sense. But that aspect of it not making sense doesn't happen until later on, and we're in spoilers, when he joins them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why the fuck? Are you guys just staying out here? And I was like, well, whatever. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to get the reason, and it's actually not important because this whole, the world that they've built. So, but this scene I thought was absolutely stunning, um, and just again displays the obvious skill that Lanthimos has, but his storytelling just isn't for me. But this shot, this scene, beautifully shot. Hmm. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I feel Go ahead. like I, I respect everything that you've said about it i think um it's also nice 
um, just to get introduced to that one loner character mm-hmm. um, who we do see later and we do see them contentious with each other later uh, in the uh, short-sighted interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that, that was just a nice connection. Uh, I feel pretty strongly that one of the separating factors between and this goes for writers too but writers and directors to get to that like really next level you have to tie pretty little bows everywhere that you can Mm -hmm. i think those little tiny connections just like it's that little hit of dopamine for the the watcher and the more you watch the more you get um and i thought that was nice you know it was just like it doesn't necessarily mean anything to the plot or to the higher meaning, but you just know, especially for me, having watched it so many times, mm-hmm. you just know later on that contention means something. Um, but it's also nice because when he joins the loners, that guy's not pissed about it. He, I, I would recognize the guy that shot at me, you know, mm-hmm. days, weeks previous. Um, it doesn't get brought up at all. So it just speaks another level to the world that these characters are in and what they've been trained to accept. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of Lanthimos's work is because the characters, even if they rebel against the the outcome, the consequence of a rule, they don't rebel against the rule itself. Mm-hmm. They're not fighting the higher power of what, you know, we need to bring down the hotel. It's just, I don't want that outcome. I'm going to make it not happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, not obey the rules of the world um and i think that that's really important oh, man. that is like i'm sorry that to like throw in a different yeah. movie right now but like that is so true of killing of a sacred deer yes. as well like without getting into spoilers on that like there's no question about like the mechanism that makes the thing that's about to happen happen it's just like this is a thing that's about to happen like and our characters are going to try to avoid it. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it's just like, it. I think it's really amazing. I think it solidifies the world hugely. Uh, in all three, it's much less prevalent in the favorite. Mm-hmm. But in all three of the Lanthimos films I've seen, it it's there as a theme of like, there's something that they're just avoiding the consequences of, but they accept that it's a rule of the world. And so as a viewer... I also do that. I think uh, arguably that's true in The Favourite. I mean, we can discuss that yeah. a little more openly because Manny's seen that as well. But that's like, um, they're, uh, like all of them are closeted either bisexuals or lesbians yeah. in The Favourite. And like none of them really question it. Like literally the queen <laughs> is like, is closeted. She could just be like, hey, by the way, it's not illegal to be gay anymore. <laughs> yeah. And like everyone would just be fine. <laughs> That's, that's but, a very good point. But instead of that, they're just like, oh, we need to like, we need to hide, or maybe we'll strategically reveal some information about this. They're all like playing the politics of it instead of just being like, hey, like, I hereby decree that being gay is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Go live your life. <laughs> yeah. 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 That That's a very good point, actually. <laughs> I, I just, I love that about his work. I think, um, I think his work wouldn't be possible without that type of world building. Yeah. I think it's really cool that's a good observation awesome. sam thoughts on the hunt uh yeah i mean i don't know if i have a lot more than uh already what's been said but uh i do like these hunt scenes it is a bit strange to me that this is uh th- this scene almost feels a bit out of place then again lots of this movie feels out of place uh <laughs> like the slow-mo 
Uh, I don't know if it really did a whole lot for me to reveal, uh, like, I don't know if I really understood the intention uh, behind the inclusion of slow-mo in the scene. All the other little stuff, like the kind of weird lighting decisions, the weird decisions to like leave some characters nameless, that all felt intentional to me. This just felt like a scene, and I don't know if I really got it. This is this has never really been one of my one of my favorite moments of the film. I don't dislike it. It's just like I don't know, forgettable maybe for me. Um, also, sorry, just as we're talking about uh, the loner, I think we were just talking about the loner leader, Leah Sidhu. Um, I watched this film legally every time that I watched it. I will note on Prime Video, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the French scenes are not subtitled. Oh. And sorry, just the mention of the loner leader uh, r- brought that up to me. Is that intentional or like what is that? Well, it has to be. I guess it I... has to be. So angry. <laughs> the first time that I watched it, I borrowed the dvd (laughs) Um, because it was like the my girlfriend at the time already had it so we just watched it on what she had because nobody had the streamer was on between us and it was already there um since then i have watched it on a streamer every time and no matter what you do there are no subtitles for that scene it has to be intentional yeah in my opinion it is intentional it bugs the crap out of me (laughs) like it is the only part of this film that actively pissed me off Uh, i i and i i it puts me in the shoes of people who don't like this movie because if this is how people feel seeing the other decisions that lanthimos has made where it's just like why this doesn't serve anything um that's where I'm at right now. Not subtitling these scenes to me doesn't add anything. And I can't for the life of me remember what they said the first time I watched it mm-hmm. in the subtitles. Um, but I kind of just have to, if I, I, I've i accepted, if I'm going to be a fan of Lanthimos, I have to accept that this happened. It pissed me off. <laughs> it was a choice he made. I have to live with that because I am subjecting myself to it. And I like the rest of the film. But yeah, those, there was two scenes, I believe. Yeah. Pissed me off to no end. Um, but yeah, I got over it eventually. Hmm. Perfect. Sam, next scene. Uh, you know what? I, um, I realized that we're not bound by the rules of going chronological here, but I realized I did actually have a scene from earlier. I wanted to talk about that's Olivia okay. Coleman interviewing, uh, Colin Farrell when he first, when he first gets to the hotel. Nice. Uh, we get, kind of the reveal uh that the dog is his brother and i do like how this is done almost kind of as a double entendre as olivia cole i can't remember the exact wording but she says like what's the deal with the dog and he goes oh my brother and like in the context of a normal world that could be like my brother died and left me this dog or oh my brother couldn't look after it or something like that my brother gave it to me but but like in the context of what we're about to learn, I think at this time we don't, we still don't actually have the info revealed to us that people are turned into animals. Knowing that is like it's literally my brother. <laughs> it's actually my brother brought brought to me. So I think that's a that's a fun way of uh, of revealing that. Olivia Coleman is uh, both in this movie and in the favorite. I don't think she's in Killing of a Sacred Deer, if uh, if memory serves. Yeah, I don't. Remember. Uh, but she is an actress who just feels like she's so perfectly suited to this style Mm -hmm. uh because so many of these characters are monotone and just letting the dialogue kind of breathe on its own 
But Olivia Coleman just has this natural charisma to her where like if this is her monotone <laughs> like she is just it's so much more expressive than than anybody else's i just love listening to her talk she has such a beautiful cadence about her voice she's just such a talented actress i i love her very much and every scene she's in in this movie is, is so good um but yeah this scene of her uh what is basically an exposition dump to uh to the audience and to colin farrell um is uh is fun good good fun all around of her saying like don't be such a pessimist you can be optimistic about being turned into an animal it's just a new <laughs> a new phase of your life and uh, just such a bizarre take on it but yeah mm -hmm. uh, more more bizarreness that i just happen to like in the film right okay um i think just to keep more praise onto olivia coleman i will probably get into this a bit more detail later i believe she won or was nominated for a british independent film award for supporting actress um phenomenal job mm -hmm. uh as you said her cadence her delivery um her role out of all of the supporting cast on my first couple watches felt relatively small but the more i watch this film the more i see the importance of it and how much she killed it fucking love her in this movie yeah. I, i've become a little more familiar with olivia coleman since having watched this film the first time so when i came back to it this time her, in her first scene i was like Oh yeah, Olivia Coleman's in this. Weird that she was given such a small part, but she's she's really not. Yeah, there's there's, it, a, there's a fair amount. It feels small. I think it's because she's kind of omnipresent, mm -hmm. like in almost all of the scenes where everybody's together, she's just there mm -hmm. for the most part. She does have like this this interview that she does that's much more intimate, um, and even still, you have not one but two other staff standing in the background, mm -hmm. which is just unsettling to me. Um, <laughs> it's very threatening. It's like a prison. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, just, um, I think a very phenomenal job with a relatively limited role, even for a supporting actor. Um, but yeah, the more I watch, the more I feel her influence in, in the film. Mm -hmm. You were correct. She did win. Nice. Good for her. She deserved it. Uh, this scene was exactly what you said. For me, it was just an exposition dump. But because I knew what the film was about going into it, not that I'm not saying it was unnecessary, but I already knew what was going on. But I did like the reveal that it was his brother. That got a little chuckle. Uh, and then again, the delivery. I, I agree 100% with seeing Coleman in this and in The Favorite. She is perfectly suited for Lanthimos films. I don't know if she's in... The next one, which I think is called Poor Choices, if I remember correctly. We're the worst. Poor, poor Things? Poor, poor things. things. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Okay. There, I got half of it right. <laughs> yeah, once <laughs> I heard that half, I was there. Yeah, Poor <laughs> Things. Um, she's perfectly suited for his style of writing. And uh, she is really great in this movie. Honestly, when is she not? She's basically, I don't know, could be the next Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. I think we're just going to see nominations from her constantly. Like, she's even good in the fucking horrible secret invasion on Marvel, <laughs> which was an atrocity. <laughs> but she's really good in it. Um, yeah, it is it is it is an expo dump. I don't really have... I don't ever have a problem with exposition dump scenes, uh, even when they're done poorly. I'm like, you have to explain the movie somehow. If they're done well, they're really good. If they're done poorly, whatever, they're a stumbling block. This is done perfectly fine for this movie. <clears throat> 
Don't really have much else to add. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. Yeah. I think Next scene's uh, on your... Just quickly, I think the reasons he gives for wanting to become a lobster are are kind of cool. I think they oh, all... Oh, yes. Yeah, like... They're, they, like, weirdly well thought out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he's put a lot of thought into this, and also, like, again, having watched a few times and seen some of the context of what the society is like later on, it... It, it kind of reflects the values of what seems to be this society um, that they live in. And I think a, an interesting question I saw posed was, would he still pick a lobster at the end of the movie? Hmm. Um, I don't think he would, but I actually, I have a bit of a cop out. I don't think he would have decided yet at the end of the movie, but I think he'd be questioning that answer. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I thought it was a bit of an interesting just thought of like, would it stay the same? Uh, do those reasons hold true to him at the end? Um, but I, I did love how weirdly thought out it was. So good. <laughs> and I also loved um, blue-blooded like arist- aristocrats, I think was my favorite. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, <laughs> like r- respectfully, you're correct. That's, that's a good connection. I also like uh, how savage Olivia Coleman is at one point when she's like, you know, that's a great answer. Some people just say the first thing that comes to their mind, they say a dog <laughs> right in front of his brother <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who is a dog. Yeah. <laughs> the, the look he gives after that line is pretty good. It's just like this sad little look to his brother. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> awesome. Kyle, you're next. Ooh, I'm next. What do I have? So I move next to the toaster slash play sequence. I grouped those scenes because they yeah, all they're sort of happen. intercut. Yeah, okay. intercut. Um, John C. Riley's best scene, in my opinion. Agreed. It's not. I mean, like he shines throughout the movie. This is impactful as a scene. Uh, the consequences of breaking the rules become very clear. Um, even with the animal thing, it's kind of intellectual at this point, but now to see what happens when you break the rules and then intercut that with the little skits that they do. And also his, I believe his morning routine yep. with the, I don't know what she is. Maid. maid. I, I have yeah. just down as the maid. I yeah. think that's what she's credited as as well. There. Yeah. Um, another supporting actor who in my opinion fucking gave to this film <laughs> i think i think she killed it i wrote down her name because uh, i think it's a little bit of a confusing name no it's not um arian labed mm-hmm. i believe it's pronounced okay um if i'm wrong i'm sorry but you <laughs> killed it lady that was a great performance and i just um i think the way that these three things were cut together the importance of the consequences of the toaster and the masturbation and John C. Riley's hand became not just impactful in that moment, it spread across all three of these things where like, okay, so now that skit is happening and the skit is stupid and they show the consequences a little bit, um, of not having a partner, but mm-hmm. when you intercut that with someone putting their hand in a fucking toaster <laughs> because they broke the rules, suddenly you're like, okay, those stupid consequences that I was seeing them act out are becoming a little bit more real. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like it just adds to the impact. And then also, obviously, the reluctance um, that David has in the morning routine. The consequences of not doing that suddenly become fairly real. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a big in your face impact, but I think it's important. I think choosing to intercut that is just very impactful for the world. Yeah, there's a lot about this that is very attention grabbing. Uh, one of them is just the choice of torture. Like it's not it's just the decision to toast his hand and like physically hold it in there is just like there has to have been easier ways, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's, it's like it's a bit just on the nose, uh, which is kind of funny. The other the other thing that really stands out to me about this particular particular torture tactic is that it's just at the table in front of everyone it's just it's just open it's not like they mm-hmm. took him into some side room excuse me can we talk to you for a moment it's that they just do this in front of everyone it's just it's not even a secret it's just open like oh this is what happens when you when you just break the rules and it's uh very ominous and <laughs> one of the first in one of the first indicators of like real malice from this place which mm-hmm. should seem it should seem obvious that this place is malicious because they're turning people into animals <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know it feels very silly to this point it feels very surrealist and then yeah when when they're actively and openly harming someone harming one of their guests in front of everybody else it, it does kind of let everything else sink in you're like oh this this is actually a really horrible, horrifying place where bad stuff happens and mm-hmm. bad stuff is going to continue to happen. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice, um, I don't know, sets the tone a little bit, let's say. Yeah. I, for me, the, the intercutting between the skits and the, the morning routine and the basically punishment for masturbating, uh, I thought was really well done. The morning routine, uh, threw me off when basically i don't know lap dance i was like that seems very pleasant to me uh (laughs) then uh but the punishment for masturbating i was like i'd be fucked i I might as you might as well just cop chop my hands off because i'm not gonna if i'm not if she's rubbing on me like that every morning i'm gonna be finishing myself off (laughs) it's just it's just that simple yeah uh I do like the skits are completely ludicrous and make zero sense. But when you, like you said, like when you see the punishments for, for breaking it, it all begins to come into focus. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this scene. This is the one of the ones I had on there. Hmm. Nice. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead quite a bit. Uh, my next scene is the killing of his brother. Yeah, I think it's the next one I have too. Wow. Uh, Actually, it is for me, too. <laughs> nice. Wild. Uh, we already kind of learned this woman is obviously cold-blooded and a complete sociopath. I ha- I did have... I had a hard time picking between this and the hot tub scene because the hot tub scene made me laugh. Uh, but this one I had to have in as she is chilling in this scene. Uh, the blood on the leg was disturbing and this is one of the actually many great scenes from Colin Farrell who we actually haven't heaped enough praise on yet Mm. he's really great in this this is a nice little prelude to his performance in Banshees where he's just a loser (laughs) (laughs) Um, and in this one he is pretty much a loser as well um I've always loved Colin Farrell 
as an actor and it's pretty rare that I haven't enjoyed him in a movie. The movie itself might be shit, a la Total Recall, um, but Colin Farrell rarely is. Uh, a slight tangent, a movie of his that I love that he doesn't remember making uh, is Miami Vice. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was so fucked up. He's like, I know I was in that movie. I don't recall making it. Wow. <laughs> it was after that movie that he went into rehab. Just on, was it cocaine? Was his Everything. Was his yeah. Everything. Jeez. And you can see it. It, it does not affect his performance, but you're the whole time you because he's about being undercover for Vice Squad, so he's undercover doing drugs, like in in a Vice Squad, and you're just like, you look like you do drugs. He's greasy <laughs> as fuck in that movie. There's a YouTuber I've uh, shouted out many times on the show named uh, Patrick H. Willems who did a video on I can't remember he like invented the name of a genre. Uh, I can't remember for the life of me. Uh, vibes vibes films and it's a it's an acronym i can't remember exactly what v-i-b-e-s stands for uh but the two films that he was like i only know of two films that fit in this genre it's very important men in the business suits or something like that uh going places is the kind of the vibe and he says the only two films i know that fit in the genre are tenet and uh and miami vice <laughs> it was the only two it's just like men in suits going very important places where are they going and what are they doing there? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like they're going places in nice vehicles in beautiful locations. Awesome. That's the whole thing. Uh, Colin Farrell going into the bathroom and seeing his dead brother uh, devastating as he tries to keep it together, knowing full well that if he cracks, the jig is up. This is one of my favorite things from actors in general. This, this is like one of the hardest things to do. That I don't know how you can do this. Act like you are trying to conceal an emotion because you have to let it. You have to let it shine through just a little bit. If you open it up a little too far, the effect is lost. And if you don't, if you do too good a job of concealing it, uh, the audience can't see your true feelings. So when when he realizes when he's sitting on the side of the bed, what's happening, and he just has this. I mean, he's deadpan through the whole movie, but he has this like different deadpan expression that he throws on it's difficult to explain he's just like whatever doesn't matter i don't i don't even care and then yeah you can feel his voice start to break when he is talking to her from the bathroom and he turns on the tap yeah it's such a well-acted scene it's insanely well acted and he has to perform all that while still in character in this sort of surrealist uh world so yeah i uh, i i like all of this this is this is a Great pick for for a scene. Awesome, Kyle. Um, yeah, I not a whole ton to add. I do have a question. Uh, did the water even turn on when he turned the tap? I'm almost positive it did. I okay. It, I can. I don't remember seeing it turn on, but I can but hear it. I've only seen it once, so you I, would know gotcha. more than me. I, know, I can. I, I feel like I can hear it. I, in retrospect, I feel like it did, but there was a moment where I thought that she turned the water off to the sink so that he couldn't use it. Um, and I thought that extra level of planning was nice, but in retrospect, I think the water did work. And, but I think the whole thing overall, um, I mean, I think we could all see that something horrible was going to happen and that the dog was the extra piece of character left over that she could do something to, uh, the brother, I should say. Yeah. Um, but holy shit just well acted especially coming off of their night previous like 
to go from first of all wild scene um their whole sex scene that happens that's the crazy. main one that it really came to my attention where i was like when we get the side shot of her face just staring up at him yeah and the lamp is behind her and he uh, he turns it on and her face is just so i'm like this is such a weirdly lit scene yeah <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortable but like yeah. it's supposed to be and she's like this we we know that she's completely heartless but she's trying to see him while they have sex. Mm -hmm. So weird. Because you know that she doesn't... I guess you don't know that she doesn't have that connection, but you know that she doesn't have the heart or the care to have those kind of connections. Mm -hmm. So why does she want that? Mm -hmm. Um, And insists on it multiple times. And I I just thought it was... I thought it was quite unsettling. but then I also thought it was hilarious when Colin Farrell just dips into frame for like a second, like after the lights on, thought that was good, but that's not the scene we're talking about. But I just think that the context of that leading into this morning, fucking crazy, just complete 180 for her shows her character to the core. Yeah. She's just a true um, sociopath. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, I thought that the dead dog, um, from a production design perspective was done very well. Yeah. Oh man. It's Jesus. so, it's so gutting yeah yeah it's it's upsetting to see actually yeah it looks like the dog it literally just looks like a dead dog yeah yeah yeah. oh well done Uh, (laughs) i applaud that yeah it's a little disturbing yeah i don't know who would have done that maybe probably set deck probably yeah yeah but uh well done on their part um that's a general note for the production design team well done (laughs) um but yeah no um there's not a whole lot more to say. It's just a very oh. pivotal moment. I, I want to make a brief comment on uh, the whole relationship between the heartless woman and David. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I mentioned it kind of a non-spoiler. I just want to expand on this a little bit. What I take away emotionally from this movie is the idea of soulmates. It really just feels like a whole commentary on the idea of just seeing something in somebody else and being like, oh, I'm going to latch onto that. I'm going to latch onto that one thing. And now we're soulmates and now we're just going to be together forever. It kind of takes that idea to its most absurd extreme. It takes that and just goes, okay, what if you could only bond with them over that? What if you could only, you have a limp? What if you're only allowed to bond over somebody who has a limp? What, uh, heartless? What if the only way to get her uh, what if the only way to save your life is to pretend to be heartless? Mm-hmm. And it kind of runs with the most extreme version of the soulmate idea. Um, and it shows the lengths people are willing to go to to not be alone. Obviously, we see that in this world, being alone actually has very dire consequences. Um, but the lengths that people are willing to go to to lie about who they are, the the limping man giving himself nosebleeds... Um, <laughs> and uh, David um, pretending to not care that his brother's dead and kicking a little girl in the shin and uh, doing all of this stuff uh, is really just a commentary on real life. It's a commentary on real people lying about themselves to fit in with their who they think is their soulmate based on maybe a superficial detail. Yep. And mm. that's, that's something that uh, I maybe had trouble... Uh, grasping my first time and maybe my second time watching this movie but it just felt so clear to me this time like oh like this is this is what's going on in this movie this is the purpose of all this because in retrospect it just feels so odd that they're not really pairing people off 
based on emotional connection at all. It's, oh, uh, hey, there's a woman here who has a limp. Did you see her? Yeah, I can't be with her because it's not a real limp. It's just a temporary injury. It's like, <laughs> the fuck does that ma- matter? Just like, go talk to her. I don't know. Maybe she's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to at least point that out. Awesome. What's <laughs> yeah. your pick, Sam? My pick for the next scene, I'm going to go uh, with um, another actually very well-acted scene in this movie. The loners making Olivia Coleman's husband attempt to kill her when they yeah. the, the break-in. Um, very chilling I have this scene. one as well. Very chilling scene. And, in, like, of course, you have Olivia Coleman uh, acting her pants off uh, in this fil- in this scene again. Um, not the most unpredictable moment in the movie, in a movie full of unpredictable moments. I felt like I knew it was going to happen, but... Uh, such an effective technique from the loners and such a well-acted scene. I, I really did feel a lot of tension in, in this. Yeah, I agree. Kyle. Yeah, completely agree. I thought, it, I thought it was great. Um, Olivia Coleman stealing a scene without dialogue, just the way she screams. I think you can hear enough of what she's saying too. Like, I, I don't think she was completely obstructed. Um, but God, just the sounds she was making mm-hmm. were gripping. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I was like, the film is so absurd that I don't think you're ever really scared for anyone's life. That actually had me like scared for her. Like I was like, I feel your fear in yep. myself right now. Mm-hmm. Um, completely well done. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's also really important for the kind of cerebral aspect the aspect of the movie where the loners. Um, aren't just abstaining from the culture of having to have a partner. They are actively undermining and destroying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important next step to the kind of higher thought that Lanthavos is trying to put into this. Um, but you don't really see it after this, um, which I don't think you need to, but... I have heard a couple of times that people feel it's a little out of place and kind of that people aren't really able to suspend disbelief and say, like, for example, you were saying, like, why don't they just go further away? A lot of people are saying, why are they provoking? You know, like, what's the point? Um, But I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it is a fair thought to have that I think is worth mentioning. Um, but God, all of the acting in this scene and then to it's intercut with the yacht, right? Yep. Well, well done there as well. I love that the kid says, um, here's the knife, mom, kill him. Fucking wild. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the kid delivered that line relatively well. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily the best piece of child acting, mm. but um, it was good. Uh, and the visual of the knife it was not a small knife um and i also thought it was um i don't know if there's much deeper meaning to her choosing to give the knife to her mom over her dad but i thought interesting touch you know it's not the man's job to always kill the intruder um (laughs) and uh i think especially the connection that I made was the dad has a limp and the kid doesn't and the mom doesn't. So they maybe are a little bit more in tight. They're more similar as humans and people. Maybe. So (laughs) maybe the, the coupling in relationships goes to how you match as friends and as siblings. Like maybe it goes deeper. So 
That's just a bit of a thought that I had off of this scene this time. I didn't have it previous. Funny that there's very little mention of the kids in the movie, like of big time. of like what goes on with them, how they're assigned, where they come from. <laughs> yeah, there's very little, very little put into that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you're next. I'm next. Um, I went to the short-sighted interrogation scene. Okay. Um, another beautiful opportunity for Colin Farrell to show emotional depth in a movie without much of it, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, um, the society that they're in and how they behave as characters. They're not supposed to have it. And it, there's so many beautiful spots where it shines through, obviously, cause the acting is stellar. Um, but yeah, Colin Farrell, um, sees that, you know, his love is getting rabbits from another man and has to know if he's short-sighted or not because that is what they bond over and the intensity that he goes to i usually find eye stuff pretty unsettling this time i watched it it didn't get to me as much when he actually like opens the guy's eyes Um, but i remember the first time (laughs) i was like squirming i don't like that kind of stuff at all but well, opening somebody's eyes, that is the worst thing that could happen to somebody's <laughs> eyes in this film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at this point, at the hour and a half mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, ironically. The, the worst uh, is yet to come. Yeah. There, there's much more to be worried about, mm-hmm. fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I thought um, he just has this sheer panic. Um, and it's obviously also related to way back at the beginning when his wife asked him to leave and for them to divorce his question is did he have glasses uh and then he of course did have glasses the new man um so now if this guy's short-sighted it's all happening over again and i really felt that panic and i felt that fear um from colin farrell's david um and then just the 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 delivery of the other guy i think Colin Farrell's just like outstanding to me in this interrogation but the way that I I don't know his name unfortunately but the the guy that was there being interrogated he was just like the perfect bounce board mm-hmm. I think I think he killed it um, and I don't want that to get lost in how well Colin Farrell acted that scene um, yeah those are the majority of my thoughts. Okay. Uh, this scene wasn't on my radar. Uh, I can remember it distinctly, but never thought much of it. I didn't see the depth in it that you do, but I do agree that Colin Farrell's intensity and in acting in this scene was uh, was top notch for sure. But I I didn't I didn't really put much thought into this scene. Yeah. Um, admittedly, it wasn't really on mine either. But I I will at least add um, that this kind of further solidifies what I was saying about soulmates earlier and what you were kind of touching on as well. Like the one thing that is supposed <laughs> to unite them, even though supposedly they should really have more than that, the short sightedness, he views that as a threat. He's like, Whoa, there's another, is there another man? Is he short sighted? Like, it's like <laughs> the first thing that he thinks of. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like completely a, a bizarre thing to, to have happen. But uh, yeah, this admittedly wasn't on my radar, but I, I, the scene does fit into the movie. Well, for kind of all the movie, all the reasons we've talked about. I think it also just quickly proved to me the depth of how much he cared for Rachel Weiss's character at this mm-hmm. point. Because mm-hmm. it's not something his character has done yet in this movie is like actively feel emotions because he might lose the other person. Um, 
or even for the other person. I don't think there was any point we saw him feel anything for anyone, um, honestly, including himself, um, until here. And it was like, he's genuinely panicked at the possibility of losing her to another guy. Um, and so for me, it it catches up the romance story with leaps and bounds, because obviously it comes in almost exactly halfway through the film. It's quite late. So it really, I think, caught up that storyline to where it needed to be for the rest of the film. Hmm. That's fair. Uh, I only have one scene left, and it's the ending. So I don't know what else you guys have left. That's, that's my last one as well. Same here. Okay. Uh, as the scene's progressing in the diner, and it inches closer to what I now realize is going to happen, uh, I start squirming pretty bad uh i don't normally have a lot of problems with eye things or violent things but the way that this was shot when he was in the bathroom i was literally in this chair watching and taking notes because i have dual screen so it makes it very easy when i can do that uh i have my fingers and hands over my eyes i i was terrified after seeing the violence even though it's off screen, the violence of the dog, I was terrified that he was going to show it. And I was not going to be able to handle that. Mm -hmm. So I was literally like a little kid with the fingers over my eyes, Mm -hmm. trying to peek through my fingers to try and continue watching the scene. Um, The way he built up the tension that scene is masterclass. And I applaud the skill in that. Uh, as it was happening and then he cuts back to Rachel Weiss sitting there I remember thinking I'm like oh please end here like this is the ending you need don't go beyond this and he lingers on her for an extended period of time and then it cuts to black and I was like okay you you nailed it you 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 did what Spielberg couldn't. <laughs> yeah. You knew how to end your film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I really enjoyed this scene despite the obvious discomfort it gave me. Yeah. Um, this I mentioned so many hours ago now that uh, I sat there staring at my laptop screen the first time I watched this uh, for a long time after this ending affected me really deeply and I didn't even really fully understand the things that it was making me feel. But again, in this world, for some reason, they, it, it, you feel like you want to reach out and grab these people and scream at them. Like you don't both need to be blind. Like it's okay. Like you can just bond over who you are and you don't need to blind yourself. And, uh, it feels so, it feels so obvious to us. Well, I think that's kind of the point. It's like it's just really deconstructing the idea of a soulmate. Like you don't really need to have a thing. You can just enjoy each other. You can just you can just like each other's company. But um, Colin Farrell's character David is also just going through this thing where um, he's already once in this film pretended to be somebody that he's not. He's already once with the heartless woman pretended to do that. And he knows the pain that that left him with. And in his mind, he knows for a fact, he's like, I need to authentically be who she needs me to be. And who she needs me to be is a blind person 
And that's such a fucked up thought. <laughs> and it's such a fucked up thing that he's so certain of that, that he's willing to, in this diner, just walk into the bathroom with a steak knife and blind himself. It is such a striking image, such a horrifying image, and a weirdly beautiful thing. Like, I, the emotions I feel after having watched this film are 90% shock, and like a little 10% like, Aw. <laughs> like, that was kind of cute, though. <laughs> they, they can be together now. Um, yeah, so this... I, I think this is a, a beautiful ending to a film. I, I I am floored by this ending every time I see it. It's It matches tonally. It, thematically, it wraps up everything about relationships the film has been trying to say. And it concludes David's arc uh, really, really well. And you're right. The way that the scene is directed to really heighten the tension, the long lingering shots, there's a shot of him trying to build up the nerve to do it in the bathroom mirror before he relents. And then a long lingering shot on Rachel Weiss. Uh, the way that this is all directed is just so, is, is so beautiful. And uh, I, I feel very strongly that this ending is, is a very good one. Awesome. Kyle? Yeah, co- completely agree on all fronts. Um, I think uh, to the the only other thing I see in this is this is Lanthimos's last opportunity to leave us with something as an audience, and he has had a message the whole film, um, you know, relatively consistently um so this is his chance to make a choice and tell us to feel a certain way um on the topic so the whole time we're questioning these people mutilating themselves and bending over backwards causing like self-harm all kinds of things to fit with someone else in this like weird relationship uh archetype um and now we have to sit as you said manny in so much discomfort watching somebody put themselves into that relationship Mm -hmm. watching them hurt themselves blind themselves to make that relationship possible i think it's a resounding message from lanthimos saying this is not how we should be we need to figure out something else I think it's a great way for him to end, and I agree ending on Rachel Weiss, and I liked the linger. Um, I thought it was a perfect ending and a very, very strong social message from Yorgos Lanthimos at the end. Um, and I also liked um, just the way that that bathroom scene was framed, because again, it's really tough to call that a one but it's it's one shot from one place, but the framing is perfect. The knife is obstructed in such a way that it's just this backlit serrated blade that seems to come out of the mirror. Mm-hmm. The way he holds it is just so unnatural and menacing. Like everything about this, we're screaming, don't do it. Um, and I think that's what Lanthimos wanted. I think that's the message he wanted us to feel at the end. Um, and I think very well done uh, message felt. Awesome. Yeah. Sam, you got to pick a scene. Where are you going? Uh, I am going to go with the ending, actually. Awesome. Uh, I forgot to mention the part as well where uh, he memorizes her body parts. Like, oh. That's, uh, before we really know what's going to happen in this final scene, he's like, elbow, or left elbow, 
right elbow <laughs> a cheek <laughs> and he's just listing off parts and again when you're watching the scene for the first time you're like okay they're just listing off body parts cool but on rewatch you see like oh he's he's taking one good last look at her while he still has the sight so yeah ending is right. beautiful ending is my pick yeah at first i thought that he was just checking her for dirt mm. uh, to go back into the city and everything and then yeah i think really good subversion of expectations um it's it's close for me um it's close between the dog and the final scene but i think i've got to give it to the final scene the two most gruesome scenes in the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think just the a, a lot of directors in this kind of scenario will leave and he does leave on a question but they'll leave on like a bigger question like the whole theme of the movie is a question that you're left with mm -hmm. and i like that he gives his answer um i i appreciate it i don't know if it's done enough anymore i think a lot of people kind of revel in the i've left the audience thinking uh kind of thing but this film already leaves you thinking about so many things and i like the the mixture of 90 percent shock 10 percent <laughs> awe because that's also how i felt um yeah i i, I think i've got to hand it to the, the final scene in yeah. the end awesome it's a trifecta it's the ending for me as well mm -hmm. uh performance review Sam, where do you want to start? Uh, I'm gonna keep it. Uh, yeah, let's go to uh, let's go to Olivia Coleman first. Nice. Um, really like her performance in the movie in a in a film that feels like it was direct. Feels like the overarching direction was for um, you know a little bit under the surface sort of stuff. A lot of a lot of monotony. Like a lot of uh, not a lot of inflection, and it feels like just a stylistic choice. Yep. Um, Olivia Coleman somehow is the most charismatic monotone person i've ever seen <laughs> and every every scene that she's that she's in is uh, she's the best actress in it uh the interview scene at the beginning her even screaming while uh, while bound and gagged is a great scene um the little micro expressions she gives to her husband while they're singing together as well mm -hmm. all those scenes uh are is the combination of her vocal acting and her physical acting is, is so so good and uh yeah she's in she is well deserving of a shout out here. Awesome. Kyle? Yeah. On Olivia Coleman? Whatever you want. Um I completely agree. I left her out of my original list, even though love her a lot, uh, in this movie specifically. Um, and in general. But I um I just I don't know. I don't know. It, it was really tough for me to pick between all of the supporting characters. I think um, I switched her out for, um, I don't know how it's pronounced, Leah or Leah or whatever, but Leah Seydoux. Mm -hmm. um, just because um, I felt they were both the antagonist. Um, and I think ultimately in the film, one of the weak points is there isn't a real antagonist and it kind of gets switched and it's kind of ambiguous. Um, but just to preface my choosing Leah Seydoux, Olivia Coleman knocks it out of the park and it's great. 
Um, but Leah Sedu, I thought, was overshadowed, but also great. I, I thought she did a really good job. I think the, especially the scenes discussing the grave um, and digging the grave mm-hmm. and then her ultimate death were quite well done. Um, I will say this was well within her comfort level, I think, um, having seen some of her other parts but i think she did really well um i think she was just like perfect for the role she very much fits into the leader of the loners type of vibe very well um and she also just commands respect every every time she's on screen she you can tell that she's the leader um she's one of the only loners that consistently has like straight posture is very open to the world um and i think that's pretty cool pretty interesting uh the way she carries herself in the city too um it doesn't feel very different um and ironically she it feels like she never fits in the city even in her own parents home she just doesn't feel like she's in her place so i think she did a really good job uh with the subtleties of the role um so Hats off there. Leah awesome. Sidhu. I like Leah Sadu. She she plays menacing very well. She plays a villain in one of the Mission Impossible films, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, where she is really good. She, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way. She's basically almost playing the same character. And uh, so I like I recognized her immediately. I'm like, oh, that's the fuck, it's the fucking bitch from Ghost Protocol. <laughs> um, I like that pick. I'll I'm gonna go with the obvious one for me because it's Colin Farrell. He absolutely killed it. He's an actor I've enjoyed as I revealed earlier on. He did a great job playing like a schlubby kind of guy. Really conveyed the emotions needed to get us to buy into the whole premise and to the type of world that we're in. It was really great seeing him here. Being able to, the, the scene uh, in the bathroom that Sam mentioned where he has to hide his emotions, I agree, is one of, it's a an actor's highlight to be able to do that. And when you see it done well, it just really, it really hits home. And that's what made that scene so powerful. So Colin Farrell is uh, one of the major highlights for this film for me. Yeah. Sam? Uh, on Colin Farrell, I, I very much feel the same. Uh, the first two times I watched it, I was maybe incorrectly under the assumption he's just kind of deadpanning his way through the whole thing because it feels very emotionless for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a lot of subtlety going on where he's just letting emotions come through just a little bit, not just in the bathroom scene, although it's a good example of it, where he's trying to conceal an emotion. Um, also in later scenes, like, uh, um, I guess it's largely the same thing when he, uh, confronts, uh, the short-sighted woman about, uh, about somebody else bringing her rabbits. He's not trying to seem jealous, but we, the audience can really see that he's, he's jealous. Yep. Uh, so that the small things like that, where he's just letting emotions come through, he's just opening the aperture like a little bit is, uh, is really skillful in the, in the sign of a, a good actor. So uh, shout out to him on that. I know we're off Leah Sedu. Just wanted to <clears throat> say my favorite Leah Sedu moment in the movie is, <coughs> excuse me, um, in the scene where 
she's making Olivia Coleman's husband shoot her. Um, the moment that he pulls the trigger, we get a cut to her. We get a cut to Leah Sidhu with a little grin playing over her face, and it's like such a such a small moment. It's a great editing moment with a cut to her, and it's a it's a great acting moment of just a little like, yeah, we got him. Like that's what we needed. We're out of here. Yep. It's it's such a cute little moment, cute little cut. It's great. She also actually, and I. I think I feel like it's a little out of place, but when they're in the city, I don't know if you guys remember the shot when they're eating the cake and Leah Sidhu is in the middle. You've got Rachel Weiss on the left, Colin Farrell on the right, and they're kind of making eye contact and like, you know, like occasional eye contact. Like it's very like you can tell they're kind of into each other because we have the perspective of it. Um, for whatever reason, Leah Sidhu gives a, slight smirk right at the end of that shot before it cuts and i don't know what for i i don't know if she was just reveling in a successful trip to the city not getting caught something like that or appreciating maybe thinking that they're acting and appreciating that they're so good at it Mm -hmm. and pretending to be in the city and liking each other and couple and whatever um has felt that little smile ever since I noticed it has felt out of place consistently. But I do think that those things explain it, but I was just wondering if you guys caught it. No, no, I definitely did not. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I, I fully believe you that it's there. But it's yeah, just it's the tiniest really little thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Sam. Uh, for somebody to go to next. Yeah. I am. Uh, who else do I have? I don't really have uh, anyone else uh, that I really wanted to go to. Um, I guess briefly, Rachel Weisz, we really didn't talk about her a whole lot. Um, I don't know if she really had a lot that uh, I found super flashy in the movie, not that she's really supposed to. Um, but she does a... she She's doing what's asked of her. I think her narration is why I kind of think of the acting in this movie as monotone. Because mm-hmm. it's very intentionally... Like, he said this, and it's very like matter of fact. He said this, she said this, and it's very monotone, very matter of fact. There's at least one moment in the movie where, in her narration, she literally just repeats a line that was already said in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it, again, it feels like a comedic moment. But yeah, it, I don't know if there's a lot I would describe in there as like a particular challenge. But uh, she's doing fine work nonetheless. So yep, I, no problems with it. Cool. I, I really liked that repeated line because it uh, and that woman's storyline is heartbreaking but it was so funny because it felt like he was ignoring her so hard that the narrator assumed that we were also not listening to what she was saying and repeated it for us <laughs> yes. completely oh, yeah, the biscuits lady yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. just completely like you guys obviously didn't catch what she was saying so I'm going to say it again for you yeah. I just thought that was fucking gold <laughs> Um, and then her narration lines up with the woman still talking. So, you know, that she's now completely talking over her and for her to us. I thought that was pretty great. Awesome. Um, heartbreaking storyline though, for that lady. Very true. Um, but leads to some really good scenes. It does. Yeah. All right. Who you got next, Kyle? Uh, John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the first time I've seen him in a, a not comedy. Um, oh man, 2002 was the year of John C. Riley. Yeah. Uh, in non-comedies, uh, Chicago, which we mentioned already on the podcast, 
um, Gangs of New York, and The Hours. He's in I three think. of the five Best Picture three nominees. Wow. Five Best Picture nominees. So I have seen Gangs of New York. I just forgot he was in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, His rendition of Mr. Cellophane in Chicago. Oh, yeah. It's uh-huh. good. Yeah, love loved him. I thought he was just perfect for this character. I mean, I if he wasn't if it wasn't written with him in mind, I would be surprised. He just fit it so perfectly. Or if he didn't change it to fit him. Yeah, he really went against type as an old single chronic masturbator. (laughs) (laughs) Completely not believable. (laughs) Yeah, Um, just absolutely loved it. I, I think he knocked it out of the park. I think the toaster scene was so good. Like, he just had, like, this apprehension that turns to complete panic. Uh, and then his, I mean, it just blood-curdling screaming. Uh, very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, his scene with Colin Farrell where they uh, they talk about being best friends. Um, super well done there, too. He he just has this like innocence almost about him of like he he just seems like kind of dumb nice guy. <laughs> this is some classic John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, like hard to think that he's you know you don't even really believe it when he says yeah I'm gonna shoot you. <laughs> like I I just fully I didn't fully believe him. Um, but yeah. Uh, I think really well done. Um, he fills a lot of the comedic space when he's on screen. Um, and his, uh, his physical comedy with the dancing and with the fight with the limping man, mm-hmm. um, gold. I, I thought their fight was hilarious. It's just like grown toddlers throwing slaps at each other. It was really well done. I'm not a John C. Riley fan for his comedy. When he does drama, I like it a lot. Uh, he's in two 1990 movies. I've seen them both. Uh, he's got a pretty good supporting role in this little underseen gem that I'd never heard of in only recent watch called State of Grace. Really great fucking film. Uh, and he plays uh, one of the crew members in the Tom Cruise film Days of Thunder, uh, the NASCAR film, which was a just delightfully guilty pleasure of mine from 1990. <laughs> When he's in his comedies, I I just it, he just annoys me. But um, I found him walking the line in this film that he's at that tolerable level where I can I can handle him. Uh, while I can't think of anything, he oh no, I was gonna say I'm like I couldn't think of anything in in this film that where I actively laugh. His little slap light with the limping man got a little chuckle out of me. But yeah, John C. Reilly is a good pick. Uh, uh, speaking of walking the line, uh, my, my favorite Dewey Cox performance, or my favorite uh, John C. Riley performance, is probably Dewey Cox. Uh, <laughs> have you ever seen that movie? No. Uh, have you seen either Ray or Walk the Line, like uh, the Ray Charles biopic or the Johnny Cash biopic, or any sort of? Or are you familiar I, kind of with the genre? I, I, I yeah, I've seen I think half of the Johnny Cash biopic but dewey cox is both uh, walk hard the dewey cox story which is the full title is kind of like a tribute to those but also kind of lampooning them is like making fun of the making fun of the uh the cliches of the genre a little bit um 
very underrated comedy. I, I fucking love that movie. So John C. Riley is a guy I really like his comedies and I really like his uh, his uh, dramatic roles as well. Um, wasn't necessarily a highlight for me, but when he's on screen, uh, he's definitely good here. And in particular, the toaster scene is, is probably the highlight for him. Mm-hmm. Did you have others that you wanted to discuss? Um, I had Angeliki Papulia. Was that the, the maid? No, that was the um, the heartless woman. Okay, go ahead. Um, just thought really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, she brought everything that was needed um, to that role, and I think, um, ironically, her her comedy and her timing was really good. The hot tub uh, scene is actually hilarious. It's and so she's funny. not emoting at all. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I think she killed it. Um, her character and her performance reminds me of Amanda Plummer, who is um, a honey uh, pumpkin from Pulp Fiction. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah. who she reminds me of in this film. Nice. Yeah, I thought she just um, she did really well. Also, the uh, when she imitated the whimpering of the dog. Oh, Jesus Christ! Like chilling. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she just walks that line really well, um, where she's clearly a horrible, horrible, horrible person, um, but she still brings the comedy. Um, And I I think in terms of the acting, she seemed to do it effortlessly. Like, it was completely seamless. Uh, I think that kind of thing takes a lot of work. Agreed, yep. In, especially in something that's more dramatic. Like, to be the, the villain that's comedic in a comedy not as difficult but in a drama that that's tough you know you've you've got to especially because she is so horrible and evil <laughs> um to bring any sense of comedy uh well done you know that's uh that was my thoughts sorry i butchered her name no <laughs> that's important. you're not alone you're apologizing to the wrong people yeah <laughs> sammy who are you picking for your favorite performance um let me see here. Sorry, I had it uh, pulled up on the page here. Uh, I think, in spite of myself, I am going to go with Colin Farrell. He's uh, really just uh, doing top-notch work. Um, and I say in spite of myself just because I don't remember this being a performance that I particularly wanted to heap praise on. But it is it is really good. It is really quite good. So I'm going to go Colin Farrell. Who are you going with? Uh, I think I'm also going Colin Farrell. Uh, the supporting cast in general amazing i can't really think of anyone who didn't shine when they needed to mm-hmm. um but colin farrell consistently throughout the entire movie was doing that um i think there were many times where and i think this has come up a couple times the the deadpan isn't the same deadpan as before mm-hmm. and i think that's just so cool and he does it really well yeah colin farrell's my pick as well would you give him an Oscar nomination for this? 2016 is going to be, hold on, um, Theory of Everything? Uh, Imitation Game? No, oh, sorry, uh, that didn't even win Best Picture, or Best Actor anyway. Danish Girl? No, Eddie Redmayne didn't win for that. What is it? It's Affleck. Casey. Casey. Oh, Manchester. Oh. Not a, I mean, I might, nom- do you, do I might you... nominate him. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty he sure. doesn't win over Casey. Okay, so I know that you've seen three of the five performances. I know that you've seen three of the five. You've maybe seen all five. Okay, can you read them to me? All right, so Casey Affleck wins for Manchester by the mm-hmm. Sea. 
Uh, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge. Seen. Ryan Gosling for La La Land. Seen. One of my favorites. Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. Nope, not seen. And Denzel for Fences. Which I have seen, and he was expected to win. This is, I'm remembering this now. It was a huge upset, actually. Denzel was far and away the favorite. No, I, I, we've had this discussion. I, I disagree. Casey was the, the favorite going really? in. Really? Didn't yes. Denzel win the SAG Award? Right. I don't know. Anyway, I, I can't honestly remember. Um, regardless, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I put him uh, over over any of the ones that I've seen. I would take out Vigo, but I haven't seen him. Okay. Um, I haven't really seen enough of those movies to weigh in with any yeah. meaning. <laughs> yeah, so have you seen any of them? Um, hit me with them again real quick. Manchester by the Sea? Nope. Hacksaw Ridge? Yes. La La Land? No. Captain Fantastic? No. Fences? No. It's okay. been a while since I've yeah. seen Hacksaw Ridge, but I'm, if I was going to put him in there over anyone, it would be Andrew Garfield. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a really good year, so it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember all of those films receiving massive praise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty tough to say. I think um, I'd have to watch them all to know my love for this film might sway me that's, um, that's totally understandable yeah but really good year yeah um so gotta, i, gotta I can't it to the nominees i love them in this i can't put them in over I've, I've only seen three of them i haven't seen fences or captain fantastic yeah. i'm not putting them in over garfield gosling or affleck i also think that it's such a like i think this type of film really limits the awards you can get it limits the amount of people that watch and like the movie um you know if yeah. you don't like it you hate it that's why thing. we that's why we do our own reassessments yep 100 percent. um but you know even even without an award i think this is just such a shining performance um i don't think it needs it i don't as, as a f- huge fan of this movie I am okay with the fact that it didn't really get much recognition in the awards circuit. A movie that uh, most people now consider one of the greatest of all time didn't win one Oscar. Yeah. It's the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I thought you were going to say Wind River. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just, uh, I, I think it, it kind of stands on its own without the recognition well enough. Um, and it was up against a lot of good stuff that year. The more the more that we say these titles, the more that I remember them being big. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all good. All right, technical review. Where do you want to go, Sam? Um, I'm gonna start with the screenplay. I think that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos and uh, F. F. Philippou, whose name I probably just shouldn't have even attempted, um, constructed a really interesting world, uh, ripe with characters and culture and also strife and uh an intrigue i just want to know more about this world not enough to uh, demand a sequel from this movie or anything uh but it's just the kind of world that leaves you intrigued there is clearly something that has happened to make the world uh a little bit almost futuristic and dystopian like everybody needs to be in a couple they need papers and the world building is so good and the dialogue is so stylized, I guess. It has a very particular flavor to it. Um, it's a very interesting style that they've gone with. And uh, that starts, I think, on the page. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on the screenplay? Completely agree with all of that. Um, I 
just love the dialogue uh, and some of the lines like that they come up with and just creating the situations to give them mm-hmm. um, like I I sometimes like to wonder what came first the dialogue itself or the scene <laughs> um, like you know when you like what does a person say when they just killed your brother dog uh, you, <laughs> you know like that that is a wild thing to think about and they came up with great dialogue for it uh, and then there's other things where um, Olivia Coleman's line about children um, that they seem to always fix marital issues um, <laughs> did that line I like I just imagine they had that line and they're like that's going somewhere and they just <laughs> found a place for it you know mm. so I think they just did a really good job um, all around on the screenplay I can see why it got nominated um, I'm curious what it was up against I'll reveal yeah um, but I'll I'll leave it there Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, of the screenplay as well. While this film didn't quite resonate with me and it's the kind of style of film that I don't fully enjoy, I can't deny the absolute skill of the screenplay, the dialogue, the world building, everything about it is fantastic. Uh, the other films nominated in the screenplay this year are uh, 20th Century Woman, Hell or High Water, La La Land, The Lobster, Manchester by the Sea. What wins? La La Land? No. No? Manchester by the Sea. Hmm. Interesting. I per- my I think I personally put La La Land in there, but that's a homer pick, obviously. I'd, my homer <laughs> pick, I'd be Hell or High Water. Nice. Hell or High Water is a great fucking movie. I fucking love that movie. That's been on the rewatch list for a bit. Both Hell or High Water and Manchester by the Sea are two that I really want to rewatch. I don't know if I want to rewatch Manchester by the Sea. I think I'm ready. I've referred to it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of that movie, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Uh, I watched it when it came out, and I referred to it as one of the best movies I never want to watch again. Uh, I, I think I'm ready. I think I want to go back to it. Think you're there? Yeah, I think I'm there. I think I'll wait till we get to that year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what aspect do you want to touch on? Um, the So I want to get really specific. I want to talk about the frame. Okay. Um, so obviously, um, primarily a director's domain but you can tie that in with um cinematography quite closely um these frames are weird Mm -hmm. they are super weird there's tons of headroom and that is something just highly unusual it is generally a rule to frame a full head and leave it there give a slight haircut if you have to um we're giving like two to three times the person's influence in the frame in headroom. That is just wild. I love it in this movie. I think it works super well. It's unsettling. It perfectly displays a person's strength in the frame and in their situation. Colin Farrell is very commonly not even got his full face in frame when he's talking. There's just like an ear cut off and he's in the bottom corner. Stuff like that um, makes him feel really small, powerless against it all. Um, But he doesn't look uncomfortable. So it's that much more unsettling that he's like, he's like, this is my place being here. And then when you get into the, um, the woods, there's a little less of that there's some more normal framing there is one scene um oh i wish i could remember it more clearly where it was it's just colin farrell and rachel weiss and they're framed normally 
but the camera jumps the axis like four times in two minutes it's just like the for anyone that's done film school the axis is so fucking important i mean you're talking to two people who have not done film school and i feel like that's yeah. just like like that's just one of the cardinal rules oh god like, yeah it's like that 180 degrees you live and die by it because you will lose your audience so quickly if you do it wrong i only noticed that he was flipping that axis on my fifth watch in that scene and every single time the shot changes there's an axis flip mm-hmm. every single time i was like amazed once i picked up on it um and that might just be me being stupid but I loved it. When I finally realized, I was like, holy shit. The the way that's finally framed normally, but we're jumping axis mm-hmm. all the time. So I thought, really well done. That's a directorial cinematography combo. Uh, I would primarily hand that to Yorgos Lanthimos um, and his influence, obviously, on this film. Um, I'd also like to say one of the biggest problems with giving the amount of headroom that he gives in this film is that things become empty in the background. I would challenge anyone to find an empty and unbalanced frame in this movie. The production design team fills the background every single time. And sometimes with camels. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I, I was just amazed. I was struggling to find frames that I didn't think were well-balanced, well-textured. Um, you get, for example, the scene where the, um, I forget her credited name, the sad biscuit lady has jumped. Yeah, biscuit lady, I think. Biscuit lady? Yeah. Cool. Um, so she's jumped. She's screaming on the ground. She's kind of centered, but definitely bottom left. And then way off in the far right, you see like two tables and the heartless ladies having breakfast. And there's nothing in between them. There's just this whole empty space. But there's grass where the tables are that turns to a certain colored brick, which then turns in toward the top left. There's a metal grate and then the building. And then in the bottom right, there's more of the building but a different type of material of the building it's more of like a dome this whole thing is like visually completely balanced and that's a really really tough thing to to pull off when you're giving that much empty space and it's the primary reason for not doing that is because that space becomes empty and boring mm. and i didn't find any of this empty space boring i it's in the forest it's a little easier because you're filling it with these just beautiful trees and that's going down to your locations um but yeah super well done on the production design that also i think can give that a little bit to yorgos too just because of finding a frame is a directorial responsibility at the end of the day um though there are obviously a lot of influences from camera cine uh and pd but yeah super well done uh from the whole team on that front just balancing frames uh in a way that is extremely difficult and done very rarely well you guys pick both of mine i had screenplay and cinematography so you can jump to whatever you want 
Yeah, um, I'll I'll add specifically on that frame. Uh, while I wasn't going to go into as much depth, I'm glad that we took uh, an opportunity to acknowledge that specific frame because <laughs> one of the things you didn't mention that's one of my favorite things about that frame is the biscuits strewn around her. That is oh that yeah, is fucking <laughs> hilarious to me how the biscuits lady like jumped out the window with biscuits in her hand <laughs> for some reason. Like it doesn't make any sense, but it's hilarious to me. Um, yeah, those are kind of, uh, the main ones for me as well. We touched a little bit on the score. I am actually, like, not, I am actually kind of on your side on that. Again, it feels intentional that the score is a little jarring. You just have this string quartet playing a single note, like a, yeah. for a lot of it. Um, feels intentional. Intentional doesn't always equal good. It's, it's weird to each their own. I'm sure there's people out there who love this. It's not really my thing, but whatever. I, I don't hate it. Definitely wasn't my thing. Super fair. I'm one of the people that really loved it. Um, <laughs> I completely understand that it's, yeah, not everybody's cup of tea. In the grand scheme of this movie, it is potentially the most not everybody's thing. <laughs> um, but at least in my opinion. Um, but I, I liked it. I thought it served the, the purpose of the story. And... Um, Especially in the hunt, with all the slow motion, it all just, I, I felt like I was watching like a modern equivalent of some renaissance painting. Mm -hmm. um, thought it was super well done, and I thought the music kind of served that. And I, I, like, now that you've said it's primarily Beethoven, I like it even just a titch more. I think that you're just bringing that that traditionalism into it was something i really liked about it because so much of the movie is not traditional and so it kind of just feels nice uh, but obviously they use it extremely uh non-traditionally yeah i think that main piece that you hear that sort of string quartet stuff is a beethoven piece i'm looking at it right now on spotify you have beethoven um stravinsky strauss so just a lot of a lot of classical composers did you have another aspect you wanted to touch on, Cal? Uh, like, not really. I think, yeah, I didn't really touch on it. Um, the directing, just yep, on its own, uh, apart from the frame. Um, there, I can't think of a bad performance here. Uh, I agree. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, masterfully acted, which means. Um, with so many characters, in my opinion, it just means masterfully directed. Um, super well done. The whole film speaks the same vibe, uh, and that vibe is strong. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, so there's no denying that um, this is his baby, uh, you know, in my opinion, currently his masterpiece. Um, just complete masterclass in subverting subverting themes subverting expectation being super fucking weird mm -hmm. and in my opinion getting away with it i know not everybody um was as into it as me but yeah i just absolutely love it um this kind of mark like a film that makes a mark like this um i mean his whole style is this mark but when you have a film that does this you know you're getting another one mm -hmm. you know like you know that somebody's gonna come to you with money to make that next feature <laughs> and that's really what you're chasing is having 
a voice as a director and being being able to get like in this case like what is it like a dozen major actors to support your voice and tell it for you on camera in these beautiful sets all done in the way that you intended like you can just tell every every frame of this is oozing with Yorgos Lanthimos and that's just yeah can't say enough high praise perfect Sam pick your aspect screenplay screenplay is really good as much as I love the screenplay I've got to go directing Hmm. that's totally fair I'm going with screenplay all right time for quotes Sam what you got Okay, I uh, I maxed out, I believe, or maybe, I, oh, it looks like I only got four. Okay, I guess I got four. Nice. Um, if you encounter any problems that you cannot resolve, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. That's one. Uh, number two, one day as he was playing golf, he thought that it was more difficult to pretend that you do have feelings when you don't than to pretend you don't have feelings when you do. Oh, I like that one. I missed that one. Damn it. Uh, number three, she jumped from the window 180. There's blood and biscuits everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh number four what's worse to die of cold and hunger in the woods to become an animal that will be killed and eaten by some bigger animal or to have a nosebleed from time to time those are my four awesome Kyle, i love his response to that too by the way because he says he um he says it's worse to become an animal so yeah. he still leaves the option to be in the woods open for himself mm-hmm. um so i quite enjoyed on second thought i hope she suffers quite a bit before she dies i just hope her pathetic screams can't be heard from my room because i was thinking of having a lie down and i need peace and quiet i was playing golf and the last thing i need is a woman dying slowly and loudly (laughs) super well delivered yep gotta love that um and then the this is more of an exchange uh but the uh Heartless woman and David uh, after she kills the brother. I can kind of skip to uh, my favorite part, which was he whined a little, a strange kind of bark, something like this. And then she makes the (laughs) funniest sound of the movie, which I will not even try to replicate. Okay, fair. Um, Completely delivery based, super well done. Um and then I really enjoyed that story sounds really interesting, but I have to leave. I just remembered I left some batteries next to a tree down there. And the last thing I want is to lose them. Sorry. <laughs> Fucking great excuse. <laughs> I am using that excuse when yeah, I need out of a situation. Um, and then I, I liked the shock value of um, some stuff. Like I was masturbating behind those trees over there. Um, yeah. I had a couple of other things that didn't quite make it, but the, I think the the physical comedy of it all was maybe better, uh, except for nothing like a cold shower in the morning really stuck with me. Um, I think that the biscuit woman uh, just delivered that really well hmm. uh, for the fact that it was the last thing she was saying before attempting suicide. Um, yeah, it kind of echoed with me after that i was just like damn like what a thing to say anyway all right yeah uh all right my i have as well if you encounter any problems you cannot resolve yourselves you'll be assigned children that usually helps i also have on second thought i hope she suffers quite a bit before she dies that whole thing 
Uh, and then I have uh, David. Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like the sea very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Biscuit Woman. Can I come to your room sometime for a chat? I could give you a blowjob. Or you could just fuck me. I always swallow after fellatio, and I've got absolutely no problem with anal sex if that's your thing. My ex-husband always used to say I had the most beautiful thighs he'd ever seen, but let's not talk about him. (laughs) Uh, And then the last one I have is, don't cry, Elizabeth. You should thank me. Now you'll have a limp and be more like your father. Amazing. Sammy, your favorite quote. If you encounter any problems that you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. Awesome. Kyle? That is a close second, uh, but I went with the whimpers of the dog. Nice. (laughs) Just that sound. Uh, I'm picking David, uh, reason for becoming a lobster. Hmm. Um, Sam, what was the weak link of the film? I don't know. I I don't think I, I hardly said a bad thing about this film the entire time we said it. I guess maybe the slow mo hunt, but I it didn't really. It's not that it was bad. It just wasn't outwardly my favorite. <laughs> yep, that's fair. Yeah. Kyle, um, I had two weak links. One of them is more petty, and it's the French scenes. <laughs> <laughs> like lack of subtitles. Yeah, beyond pissed off about that. Um, but again, I've said this. I get it. Um, but the, I think the thing that was more of a deep-seated issue that i think it this is part of why a lot of people get lost is the antagonist of it all you have arguably three antagonists and they just pass the torch uh, and i think it's really difficult as an audience the way that we've consumed stories for so long to reconcile that and to create the whole story out of that um i think part of the point i think it's still kind of cool and it's useful to point out that no faction is correct and also the heartless woman is a bitch Hmm. um so the hotel manager kind of an antagonist not really but kind of heartless woman definitely but only for a moment right like it just passes the torch a lot and it's kind of weird and then you get the loner leader I feel is another antagonist, but all of the antagonists antagonists also aren't always antagonists. They are trying to help genuinely or trying to lead genuinely. Or, I mean, even the heartless woman, he was tricking her. She went into that honestly, and she's a horrible, horrible person, Mm. but she went into that whole relationship with honest intentions and, uh, so it's hard to even say that any of them are truly fully antagonists. And if you look at this, if you broke down the story to like the most basic components, um, I don't know if any of them are antagonists in terms of a pushing the story sense either. It's more the set of rules that they represent that is the antagonist. And I think that's really, really difficult to not to grasp i think it makes sense for most people to grasp but to be okay with that's a tough thing interesting i didn't pick up on that at all uh my the weak link for me is just my ability my inability to connect with this film in any way (laughs) i just didn't connect with it uh all right some trivia i have next to nothing uh main thing i have comfell gained 40 pounds for his role in this film uh and the production worked almost entirely with natural light and without makeup 
Lighting was only used for some of the night scenes. That's wow. all I got that was interesting. Yeah. Sadly, for a, a movie this incredibly well made. Uh, some Cassie what ifs. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen was approached to play the loner leader, but backed out to contractual contractual commitments with Marvel. Hmm. And Jason Clark was cast in the lead role, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. I'm a big fan of Jason Clark, but I definitely prefer Colin Farrell here. 100%. Yeah. Uh, all right, closing credits. Sam, would you watch this movie again? Absolutely, I would. Kyle? Yes, sir. I would not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, would you recommend this movie to friends? I have, uh, mostly as a litmus test to see uh, what kind of person they are. <laughs> Kyle? Uh, I do it with very heavy caveats, but I recommend it commonly. I would recommend this to certain people. Yeah, it's uh, not I a blanket recommend. No, no, not even close. I know the kind of people that I can recommend this to that I think would enjoy it. Uh, and then I know a lot of people that would not, and I would not recommend it. Sam, MVP of the film. Uh, it's pretty clearly the mastermind of the whole thing, Yorgos Lanthimos. His fingerprints are all over the film. And, uh, yeah, he, he. this is so clearly an expression of uh, of who he is that uh, it has to be him. Mm-hmm. Kyle? Yeah, I got to hand it to Same. the man, Yorgi Lanthimos. Yeah, it's a trifecta for me. It's easily, yeah, his fingerprints are all over this film. Uh, like I say, every episode quickly becoming my favorite part of the podcast recommend a good double feature to go with this film this is kind of a boring answer but it is the one that i have and i think it's the right one uh the only film i've ever watched that comes close to reminding me of this film is the killing of a sacred deer by yorgos lanthimos yeah so that was my immediate instinct but i wanted to find something fun uh you know like i wanted to find something a little a little different Oh, I have double featured them, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went with being John Malkovich. Oh, cool. Don't know how you guys feel about that. I think it's similar enough to double feature, um, but ending with being John Malkovich, you might have a little happier time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, that was my... Cool, that's a great movie. <laughs> that's my recommendation. Really? Oh. You're fucking right. Whoa, I'm wow. just kind of shocked. I'm just kind of shocked because I'm not sure if I get the is the connection just the weirdness of yep. it all. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Two weird films back to back. Yeah. What order are you showing them? I I like this. I like uh, being John Malkovich last. Um, although I, I will say that the the ending of the lobster giving it time to breathe. There's something to be said for that. Oh, I'm not sure now. Okay, I'm changing my answer. Actually, the lobster last because the ending is so good. Okay. But you had Killing of a Sacred Deer as your pick. Uh, Lobster Last again. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, I think it would really depend on the person. If you... Like, if if you're recommending this double feature to someone and you think there's someone's going to like the lobster, I think do it last. But if they're at all not confident, being John Malkovich has to be last. My initial aspect was to put Malkovich last because I'm always the belief the better movie should be the second one. Mm-hmm. But you, I think you are right. You're going to want to sit on the ending of this movie for a bit. So I'm going to switch. I'm going to put Malkovich first and then Lobster second. But if I did that as a double feature, I'd be fucking angry because I'd be leaving the double feature not enjoying the second movie. So personal preference. Um Sam, what will be this film's legacy? I, I'm honestly not sure. It doesn't have much of a legacy outside of fans of the man, 
I think it is a very distinct entry in Yorgos Lanthimos' filmography, um, a very clear expression of who he is, but the larger reputation that this film has, I think of this as just a singularly bizarre film and something to recommend to people who are looking for something pretty out there. Okay. Cool. Um, in terms of the you know lasting legacy, this film does come from the Greek weird wave. Um, very low-key film movement that happened. Um, yep, never heard of it. Me neither. Yeah. No um, also known as Greek absurdism. Never heard of it. Yeah. Just this wonderful group of Greek people that makes movies like this, and they did it. Um, still do, because Yorgos is around, technically. Um, but yeah, Greek weird wave. Uh, I think this is the poster boy of that movement. Um, really encapsulates its, it well. Um, I think the other films and filmmakers that are part of it are pretty much unknown outside of Greece. I think they're mostly Greek language films. Um, but this is a part of that and is the best of them that um, from every single review that I can tell. Um, so I think that's its its lasting impact is maybe bringing that movement to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so well done on that front. I think that's kind of how it'll live on, even though, uh, it's obviously not known for having done that. I think that's what it did. All right. Film doesn't have a legacy. Just a weird film. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if Lanthimos, obviously, like I said, extremely talented. So in time, if he continues to grow in stature, um, it will be kind of be seen as like, um, is this his second film? well second uh western film second yeah. second outside of greece okay yeah all right so i think the legacy will just be part of his filmography mm-hmm. um did you learn anything from this movie sam prioritizing finding a partner who is similar to you rather than finding someone you connect with is a recipe for pain nice <laughs> um it, it's tough to say i think Entering relationships with honesty is good practice. Oh, I like that's that. A, that's actually so good. <laughs> oh, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, that was similar to mine. I didn't kind of write this down. It's the thing I learned from this movie was the same kind of thing. Like when you enter in a relationship, it should be built on enjoying the person, not finding common ground. Like you want to you want your partner to be someone that you enjoy spending time with, whether or not you guys have the same interests, it doesn't matter. You just want to be with the person. Um, I like both your guys' answers. Sam, your final thoughts on the lobster, man. I, we went so in depth with this movie. This was, I'm so glad we left no stone unturned. I don't know if there's a single thing I would like to say about this movie that I haven't already said, but if I can summarize weird, Yorgos Lanthimos, Yorgos Lanthimos, Weird filmmaker, bizarre, uh, interesting style, um, very particular direction uh, of his uh, of his cast. That I think I think he's the kind of person who knows exactly what he wants and uh, knows how to achieve it. And uh, there is nobody, at least in the West, uh, making films like Yorgos Lanthimos today. I guess Greece is technically in the West because yeah, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but still, and nobody west of Greece is making films like this other than Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, it is great to see somebody making wildly thought-provoking, uh, wildly thought-provoking films 
and not afraid to unapologetically have his own voice as a filmmaker. And uh, it's, it's what I really like about, about this film. Nice. Huh? Um, yeah, can't heap enough praise onto it. Absolutely love the movie and the director and all of the acting done within it. Um, I think at the very least, and my dad who disliked this movie agreed on this, it's not part of the movie mill. It's something different. It shakes things up. There's clearly voice and it it's it tries things and you you just kind of have to respect that it tries things and it tries them with a lot of technical perfection um so hats off to that um i've said all the nice things i will say every time i watch it i have new things to talk about Mm -hmm. it's one of those films where there's just always more like you just catch another detail every time in my experience at least and we'll see if that's the case next time we we went pretty in depth <laughs> today yeah so i yeah i've said so much today i could probably say more uh but i'll stop there awesome uh yeah it's a movie that is for me technically brilliant but just one that i did not connect with uh this movie's not for me uh but i'm listening to you guys heap such praise on it I won't lie, increased my enjoyment of the film retrospectively. Uh, it was really fun breaking it down this much and hearing your guys' love and admiration for the film come through. Uh, but yeah, this movie's not for me. Um, so Lanthimos is one and one in my books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the favorite, while I enjoyed it, wasn't very high up on my list that year. So If memory serves, you had it near the lower half of your top ten and you weren't watching like 60 movies a year back then what year was that that was 2018 oh i don't think i have my 2018 that was also that was a pretty weak year so that was the year that you had um spider-man into the spider-verse at your number one. Oh yeah, yeah. uh and then you had i think stars born number two i love stars born something like that and then i don't remember after that let's see if i can quickly find 2018 let's see what i have yeah, 28 films. And I don't have the favorite listed. Oh, oh it's because I watched it before I was on Letterboxd. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Right on. Let me see. What Looking now, where would you where would you put it? Well, it's got to be above Bohemian. Hmm. So, 17? Oh, really? 17 hmm. of 28. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, let's see. I wouldn't put it below those oh one of them you can't really count one's a doc a, a small documentary on the making of Schindler's List so it doesn't count I don't know why <laughs> that was yeah I'd put it below the Sisters Brothers yeah looking at everything above it can't put it above it hmm. yeah nope so round 17 for the favorite right now hmm. but we'll see what happens when I that's only the ones I've logged not all the ones I've seen I'd have to go through 2018 and re-log all the movies I've seen yeah. for it to get an action. But whatever. Um, all right, time to give this movie a rating. Sammy, what are you giving it? It's funny that we talk about the rating system today and the lack of half points because this is actually one where I would love to have a, a nine at my disposal. It's uh, It's really tough because I've given so many movies a four that I think this is so much better than. But there's some part of me that just doesn't feel like i can give it a five for whatever reasons yeah i think i am going to keep it at a four for today cool but uh 
but a, an emphatic four, like a four <laughs> plus, like a four hey way to go. <laughs> nice. Kyle? I think probably no surprise. I'm giving this one a five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, absolutely obsessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to our recording, this was a two. Yeah, I had it too written down for you, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, Listening I, to you guys heap praise on it, it lifted a point. It's a three. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought you would be either a two or a, a four. I didn't think. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. I, I was going to write down a prediction before I didn't get to it. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to say I thought you were going to give it a two. Yeah, it was a two. This doesn't feel like a movie that many people give a middle of the road rating to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Three different ratings from three people. That's pretty rare yeah awesome uh thank you kyle for coming on this thank was you. an My absolute goodness. blast yeah uh it's been can, a long time can since you we... feel that we have nothing left to give like this feels <laughs> like one of those podcasts where i feel like we just went as long as we could said everything we could didn't i don't think it was ever really repetitive or or bad or anything or like i just feel like i said everything i wanted to say and I felt like I got everything out of you guys that I would have hoped to have gotten. This reminds me of what, what we used to do with the film. Yeah. When we we used to go through the entire film, Whoa. start to finish. And then we found that point that... Point by point. Yeah. Like wow. point by point. Yeah. And we just found it tiring. And two, it was really hard to enjoy the movie because you're writing notes for the whole film. Uh, and that's why we switched it up. So yeah, but this tonight reminds me of those nights when we would break down a big film. Yeah, which is funny because I'm looking at my raw notes right now, just like the my stream of consciousness notes. It's way less than I normally write. It's just kind of each line is like two words, mm-hmm. just like of the scene that's happening, and then nothing after that. that was <laughs> yeah, cool. I but really yeah. appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, um, I warned you i talk a ton <laughs> so that might have contributed i think i had a little bit of circular uh speaking going on the guest but... episodes are always the longest so like i wouldn't be too self-conscious <laughs> about that yeah like it's just yeah, by nature yeah. of having three voices in the room is just is what it is and totally. we, we and we wouldn't invite people on if we didn't <laughs> like talking about movies for a long time it's much better that you said a lot than a little Fair. yeah definitely yeah if we like if we i i knew you were going to be just fine on here <laughs> but if we'd had to like carry you which we haven't had to do we've invited some pretty charismatic people onto the show i think yeah pretty selective on who we and pretty smart people too yeah yeah we've been pretty selective on who we invite on the podcast mush heading being (laughs) yeah i guess they just let anyone on here now i I know right (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i'm so glad you came on now like we said it's an open door policy we'll be posting stuff shortly um, I'm going to next... go ahead and suggest, given the length of this episode, that maybe it gets divided in two. Uh, yeah, I could do that. Yep. Because we're over four hours now, right? Yeah, this is te- this is now the longest episode we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> you have that honor on nice. your first episode. Congratulations. <laughs> I will take that. I'll have to double check the complete runtime of the Pulp Fiction, the two halves together to see. I if... feel like we came in just over four. We've got to be like at four and a half. Now, four, right? 420 right now. Yeah. Like... None, nobody that knows me will be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a talker. Yeah. Wicked. 260 plus episodes came out on top. Nice. Um, but yeah. It, on... it was super enjoyable. Like, don't let my my tired demeanor right now. Like, I enjoyed every second of this. This was super fun. You're obviously a very knowledgeable person about movies. It's good to have um, 
I think this marks the third person we've had, the first guest, the third guest we've had, um, where you've had some sort of onset experience as well. Because at the end of the day, Manny and I are just dudes. We did not go to film school. I don't know if I've ever spent a single second on a film set. Like, we're just guys who like watching movies. That's literally it. So it's nice to have somebody on the other side of that who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a platform where I can pretend to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same, dude. Yeah, I, I and I mean, having now listened to seven episodes and uh participated in one i have to say you guys are incredibly knowledgeable it's been a gift um even uh, i know it's maybe more difficult to talk about movies that you don't like so i appreciate how much you were able to give manny but on, the, on, the, <laughs> on the flip side of that i think it's easier to talk about movies when there's a little bit of a difference of opinion i yeah i love sitting in this chair with two of my friends often and talking about a film we all love like a five across the board that's great but there's a reason that the one tonight wasn't like a five across the board it was a difference of opinion a little bit so there's some stuff to go back and forth on and that that can be a lot of fun too yeah totally um we look forward to having you on again. Totally. We will know to plan things <laughs> a little bit better. Thank uh, God we skipped. We didn't even do what we've been watching. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't I, even oh, talk yeah. about what we've been watching. That's crazy. Yeah. We did spend, a, like, the interview always takes a lot of time, and then we did add a game mm-hmm. into yeah, today's fair. episode. So yeah. uh, we did take our time with that. But, yeah, it's it's going to be very enjoyable having you on for other films. I will uh, say I also will now never be talking about this film and this film is one that i take particularly passionately yeah um because i know it's either a like like it's either a love it or hate it so i have gotten used to defending it pretty vehemently yep nice. um but yeah no like this one i've got a lot to say about uh, wicked yeah awesome yeah it was an absolute fucking blast i had a great time tonight uh, all right, so please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. So we greatly appreciate You can also uh, give us a rating on Spotify, which I have no idea how much it helps, but it surely doesn't hurt. You can also uh, follow us on Instagram and threads at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterbox at Manny42. Sam? Sam Reimer? Correct. Kyle? Kyle Robertson. Wicked. And uh, I will be pressuring Kyle to log more movies uh, as he watches them. He does not need to go back retroactively. But going forward, I'll be giving him little nudges in the hopes that he will get on Letterboxd uh, consistently. Uh, All right. So for the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I'm too tired to even come up with a closing line. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios! (laughs)